So please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm 119 today. We are beginning in verse 33, um, the section that begins with the Hebrew letter He or He or He or He, depending on how you translate and look at those two, that letter there. Um, if you ever were interested in learning the Hebrew alphabet, in most English translations, they have the uh, letters there prior to each section. So, you know, some night if you're diff- having difficult sleep and you just want to learn a new alphabet, it's there for you in the scripture. Um, but today we will look at Psalm 119, beginning in verse 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Let us pray. Great God above, you have revealed the way of salvation and sanctification in your word. As we are taught by your word, build us up in the knowledge of salvation through Jesus and the holiness we are called to live out. Keep us on the way of holiness and give us life through righteousness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've looked at the first four sections of this particular psalm, we have seen the psalmist's desire to learn and to find peace in God's word as it leads him to holiness. He opens Psalm 119 with the declaration in verses 1 and 2 that blessed or happy are they whose ways are blameless. Blessed or happy are they who keep God's statutes. He has declared that God will provide a peace and a happiness in the midst of hardship for those who seek him, who follow him, who who strive to learn and to live according to the precepts of God's law. This longest of psalms is a long prayer where the psalmist shows his dependence upon God for the knowledge necessary to be holiness. And as we'll see today, for the strength to practice what God's laws call for. In our passage today, the psalmist will keep his focus on the internal life, the, the, the life of the heart, but he admits and seeks for help in areas where he stumbles and struggles because the heart is treacherous when it comes to the pursuit of holiness. You and I must remember that our heart will often at times seek to deceive us and tempt us as we pursue holiness. But as you and I approach the throne of God, a God who will not only teach us his righteous decrees, but will also save us according to his righteousness. We learn that the truth that he gives to us is a truth that leads us to humbly rely upon him in times of temptation. And so the psalmist seeks to show us this today through three main prayers. Teach me, protect me, and save me. Typically, as we have looked through the sections of of the of Psalm 119, as each section is, is made up of eight lines or eight verses, 
Most of the sections of Psalm 119 will break up neatly into two four-verse sections. Today is a little different as the psalmist actually squeezes eight or excuse me nine different requests into these eight verses and we can break these nine different requests up into into three sections of three apiece that once again teach us to the the prayer to teach to prayer to God to teach me protect me and save me the first three petitions happen in the first three verses where the, the psalmist cries out to God to teach me. He opens up with that declaration. He cries out to God as one who has authority. God has authority because he has created. God has authority because he has given us his law. And so he reaches out to one who has authority over him and asks him to teach him something. And notice that it's not merely to teach him certain information. We think of the teacher's role to get, is to give information about certain subjects. But here the psalmist wants more than just information about subjects. He wants to be taught obedience. As he cries out to God, teach me to follow your ways. And he goes on to say that it, when you teach me to follow your ways, I will keep them to the end. The psalmist cries out to God to say, teach me to be obedient. Don't just teach me your law, but teach me how to follow your law. Don't just give me your instruction, but teach me how to live out that instruction in a way that brings honor, a way that brings glory to you. It's, it's a declaration of dependence upon God, not only for the information necessary for holiness, but for the strength necessary to pursue holiness as well. The second petition under this heading of teach me is give me. Gimme, gimme, gimme can be one of the most selfish requests that can be made to God. But if you add the right object to the give me, it can be a God honoring prayer as we see here. What does he ask for? He asks for understanding of God's law. In Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law but so that the law might be fulfilled in and through him. This means that there are parts of the law, specifically the ceremonial and the civil law, that have a diff different application to us today, that we must be able to understand what the ceremonial law and civil law shows us, even though we don't go to a temple to offer sacrifices and we don't structure our national law according to the civil laws, although they may guide our national laws or should guide. Even the Ten Commandments, we must understand them to be able to apply them in such a way that, that goes beyond just the direct commands not to kill, not to bear false witness, not to commit adultery. But how do we interact in our world that, that honors that law and honors the God who gave us that law? How do we apply the law to such questions as what job should I take? Whom should I marry? Where should I live? I mean, it may be almost heaven, but there's no explicit command. Thou shalt live in West Virginia. So how do we make a choice on where to live? The psalmist says that we pray for understanding from God so that we can keep his law and obey it in all areas of life in ways that honor God. So teach me, direct me, and then under the heading of teach me, the third, the third um, 
teach me, give me. And then the third one is direct me, direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. This word direct is a word that that literally means put me on the path of doing what is right. Put me on the path of following your way. The, The psalmist wants God to not only show him the path, as we'll see in verses one in verse one oh five, where the word of God is a light to the path, but he actually prays that God Himself would set him and us, as we will see in the next section, to keep us on the path. The psalmist wants to be on the path because he finds delight on God's path. When we think about the path that God has called us to walk, delight is usually not the first thing that comes to our mind. God's got all these rules that I've got to follow. Yes, he has the laws that he expects us to live according to. And in Christ, he has put us on the path to follow those laws. And those laws are delightful because those laws keep us in God's delight. And when God delights in us, we are able to delight in God and follow his way even more and see where his glory shines throughout the law to see where relationships are eased as we follow God's law in relationships, as we see where the difficulties of work can be eased as we follow God's law in work. In every area of our life, as we seek to delight God, we find that we delight in him more and more. And so in this first section, teach me, we see that the psalmist delights so much in God that he begs God to give him the means to be obedient to the instruction that God gives. Is your prayer life marked not merely by a desire for God's instructions, but for a desire to obey and delight in God's instructions? We do well to pray to God, make me obedient according to your laws. So the first petition is teach me. The second petition is protect me. After the Israelites had entered the promised land, they had this miraculous victory over the city of Jericho. They marched around the city seven days. On the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. They blew the trumpet, lifted up a shout of praise to God, and these impenetrable walls just crumbled before them. And they entered and defeated the city miraculously, They came off the high of defeating Jericho and they came upon this small little podunk city out in the middle of nowhere named Ai. And they thought, we got this. And this small little city with almost a a nothing of an army defeated the Israelite army. And so Joshua goes to God and he says, what have we done, O Lord, that you have allowed this defeat to happen? We had the miracle of Jericho, and here we are with this little city that should have been an easy defeat, and yet they have defeated us. God answers with somebody in the camp has sinned. I told you to dedicate everything to me in the city of Jericho, and somebody has violated that command. So the tribes march before Joshua, and God singles out a tribe. And then the clans march before Joshua and God singles out a clan and the families and then finally the man and and Joshua approaches Achan and asks him what happened. And in Joshua 7 verse 20, we have Achan's reply. It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. 
When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. We see a pattern of temptation and sin in this. The first thing that Achan did was he saw the stuff. He saw the gold, he saw the silver, he saw the nice robe and clothing that was there. He, he opened his eyes to the temptations. He, and then he allowed that temptation to take, take seat in his mind and he began to think about it until the temptation settled into his heart and he coveted those things. And willfully, knowing that God had commanded that those things be destroyed, he took them. He dug a hole under his tent and he hid them so that he could have them. Jericho was a type of first fruits for the people of Israel. The first fruits was your first harvest from the crop is given to God in recognition of the fact that you trusted God to bring in the rest of the crop. Jericho was to be a first fruit for the promised land to where all of Jericho is dedicated to God, knowing that he was going to give them the rest of the promised land, the rest of the land flowing with milk and honey. But Achan chose to get his reward now instead of trusting God for the reward later. And that's the pattern that the psalmist seeks protection from in verses 36 and 37, the next three petitions of the psalm. The first two petitions are, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. The psalmist understands something that we oftentimes take for granted or or choose not to understand. Sin does not begin with sin. Sin begins with temptation. We see something with the eyes that God has said you shall not have. You shall not consume. You shall not take. It's an action that God has called sinful, a relationship that God has put boundaries around that we are not to transgress. But we see that that those things offer us pleasures and happinesses that God has promised in the long game, but we want now. And so we see those things that tempt the eye. The psalmist describes them as worthless or empty things. And as those things tempt the eye, as we dance along the edge of temptation and flirt with temptation, those things move from the eye and into the heart to where they become selfish gain, which is rooted in the same word that Achan said where he coveted. We we, we want our heart turned away from covetousness and to the statutes of God so that we continue to be obedient. And the psalmist says, I am a man who is still tempted to sin. Lord, avert my eyes from the things that tempt me so that they will not settle in my heart and I violate and break your holy laws. God has promised to work in us to provide a blessing for us in ways that you and I cannot imagine. And we are tempted to sin. And when we are tempted, rather than fighting it in our own strength or even flirting with it, as most of us do, 
You know that question, how, where's the line? Where do I cross the line? Where, where, how close can I get to this sin without crossing a line where I've gone too far? It's the wrong question. God, turn my eyes away from the sin so that I will not be tempted by it, so that I will not desire it, and so that I will turn to you. The third petition in this second section is to be preserved by God according to his word, or some translations say way. Preserve my life according to your way, O Lord. Not only just keep me from temptation, but preserve me in my pursuit of holiness. Keep me. You've placed me on the path. You've given me the strength to follow the path. Preserve me on that path as well so that I do not stray from it, so that I continue to walk with you. Teach me, direct me, and finally save me. We see in the last three verses, fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. Verse 38, he says, take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good. Why would he dread disgrace? Well, there's an external and an internal dread of disgrace. First, verse 38, we see that he dreads disgrace and shame from people. He pleads with God to carry out what God has begun within his heart. Lord, you've promised to finish the work, finish that work that you have begun in leading me to holiness. And he says that he wants God to do this so that God may be feared. How does the culture around us think about our pursuit of holiness? They think it's a fool's game. They think it's folly. They call us names like hypocrite and holier than thou. When we are merely seeking to please and honor God and to walk in the holy and obedient path that he has given before us, they heap insult and shame upon us because we are seeking to honor the God who has called us out of our sin and misery and into temptation or into salvation. But they're watching. They may be insulting, but they're watching. And as they see God's people continue in their walk of holiness, as they see the gospel change our lives, not necessarily make things better. God doesn't promise to make things better in the here and now. He tells us that there's a glorious reward that awaits us in the future. But as they see with see us deal in a holy way with the successes and the hardships of life, they may be drawn to fear God. They may be drawn to ask the question, what's going on with you? What's different about you? I've watched your life fall apart, and yet you have this peace. Where does that come from? As God's people walk toward holiness, people outside may fear God and we don't pursue holiness because we hope other people will be saved by our example, but it's a benefit that comes as we seek to honor and glorify God with our holiness. But he also dreads fear and shame from God. Verse 40, how I long for your precepts. Before I go too far, how I wish that I longed for God's law as much as the psalmist does. How I wish that I longed to know God's law as well as the psalmist does. To obey God's law as much as the psalmist 
longs to obey God's law, to have his life shaped by God's law, to pursue holiness with a passion, with a delight that led him to write a 176-verse poem extolling the virtues of God's law. When he says, how I long for your precepts, preserve my life in your righteousness. This is the fourth time in the last two sections that he has called upon God to preserve his life. In the previous section, he asked God to preserve his life according to the promises and the word that God has given. In verse uh, 37, he asked God to preserve his life according to God's way, which we've seen in the first section that he, he wants God to put him on God's way. And here he calls for God to preserve his life according to God's righteousness. God is angry at sin. We take that for granted. God's wrath and hatred against sin. And we take it for granted because we don't want to admit that each and every one of us, you and I, commit sin. We violate and transgress God's law. Or we just ignore it where it tells us to do certain things. We just kind of go our own way. And that's a problem because it brings God's shame down upon us and we should dread God's anger and wrath against sin. The author of Hebrews tells us that it is a fearful and awful thing to fall into the hands of a righteous and angry God. And we have no righteousness within ourselves. One Puritan author, as he was on his deathbed, was asked, what is your greatest success in life? He said, I look at my life and I take all my evil deeds and I put them in a pile. He said, then I take all my righteous deeds and I put them in the same pile. And I turn my back on all of those deeds and I run into the arms of my faithful Savior whose righteousness has saved me. Even my righteousness is worthless before God until I am placed in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a seed form of the doctrine of justification that we have here. The doctrine of justification says that on the cross, my sinful record, my legal record before God, I owed God a debt, a legal debt because of sin. That debt was placed upon the cross and paid for and crucified by the life, the death, the resurrection and the ongoing work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then his righteousness was placed upon me so that when God looks at his children, he sees someone righteous like Jesus. And so the psalmist says, Lord, you're going to put me on your path. You're going to answer the prayer. You're going to teach me to follow the path. You're going to give me understanding of your law. You're going to direct me in the way that I should go. And if I cooperate in the work that you're doing, you're going to keep my eyes and my heart away from worthless things. But I'm a human. I'm fallen. I'm sinful. I am going to do my best to turn my head and my eyes back to those worthless things and pursue selfish gain rather than obedience. Preserve me according to your righteousness. That's our only hope, brothers and sisters, is the righteousness of Christ. We can try to stack up good works that we think we are going to bring 
to the infinite, eternal and holy God and say, here's what I've got. You have to accept me. And God tells us in James, if you've broken even the tiniest of laws or statutes, you are guilty before God of every single one of them. But God has given us the opportunity through belief to have the righteousness of Christ upon us so that we might have life, abundant life, eternal life in the sight of God. Do you dread the shame of failing in holiness? And have you found life in God's righteousness and nowhere else? So the psalmist prays, teach me, protect me, and save me. Several years ago, Zachary asked me to take him to a place called Dragon's Tooth. Dragon's Tooth is a part of the Appalachian Trail. It's about a five, five, five and a half mile hike. Um, uh, it's in between Salem and Newcastle. It's a nice, easy hike. It's about a little over two and a half miles out, two and a half miles back. The first two miles are nice and level. And the last half miles, whoop, straight up the side of the mountain on zigzagging up and down rocks, metal rungs, hopefully well connected to the rocks and that you're climbing up. But Zachary and I, I, I took Zachary and we went and we hiked Dragon's Tooth. It's difficult, well worth it. If you can handle the hike, it's well worth getting to the top and seeing the view over the valley there. At one point in the hike, as we're about halfway up the side of the mountain where you're on the vertical part of the hike, we found ourselves realizing that we were several hundred yards off the path in the middle of some woods on an edge of a drop that just kind of went poof, straight down. We realized that we had gotten in the wrong area of the woods. So we traced our steps back, we found the right path, and we kept on toward the peak. What happened? What got us off the path? We took our eyes off of those white rectangles that are on the path that the National Forest Service paints every few, every few yards to make sure that you stay safe. And we followed two other people who made a right-hand turn when we should have gone left. And all four of us found ourselves looking down, going, I think we're in the wrong place. That's how the path of holiness is. When you're walking on paths, whether it's in the state forest or the national forest, you are dependent on the forest service for staying true to the course on which you were walking. In our pursuit of holiness, you and I are dependent upon God to keep us safe along that path. And in prayer and in humility, we need to ask God, teach me to be obedient. Protect me from temptation and my own sinful nature. And save me from the wrath that my unrighteousness deserves. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we consider your word, as we consider your call to obedience, we do ask that you would guide us. Show us how to be obedient. Give us the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient. Protect us from our own sinful nature. Protect us from temptation. And Lord, remind us that you have saved those, that you have covered us in the righteousness of Christ as we walk with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, take this blessing upon you. 
Now I commit you to God and to the work of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.